0: Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And as we go to your word right now, oh Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here live and those watching on live stream and those that'll watch later. And I pray your word would go forth with power. Give us attentive ears. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, by the way, if you don't have an outline, you really do need one. They're on the back table. Just raise your hand. Pastor Josh will bring you one. Anybody need an outline? Everybody got one? If you turn it over, you'll see what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at the tabernacle. We looked at the, or excuse me, the uh, temple. The tabernacle was last week. So 1 Kings, to catch us up just briefly as we know, 1 Kings began at the end of David's life. David was weak. He was basically uh, on his deathbed. He had to have a nurse taking care of him. In the midst of that, his oldest son tried to take the position that God had planned for Solomon. David had to step up. And uh, in his weakness, he, he stood up and put Solomon on the throne even before he died. And then he, told, he gave Solomon some final words of instructions in chapter two, on some people to look out for. In chapter three, Solomon was faithful to do that. And then God came to Solomon when he made sacrifice and he asked him, he told him he would give him anything that he wanted. Can you imagine if God showed up at your house and told you that? I'll give you anything that you want. I would hope we would ask for things like Solomon did and not temporary stuff. But boy, that would be tempting. But he's just, he did, basically, he asked for wisdom. But what he really asked is for the ability to listen. He said, I want it able, the ability to listen and understand. That's what wisdom is, right? It's applying knowledge in a way that impacts others. And so we saw that while Solomon is a wise man, because God gave him wisdom, Solomon already has been blowing it. Because we saw that one of the first things he did was he married an Egyptian woman. If you remember, to bring a treaty with the Egyptian king. And remember that the, before they came to the land of promise, they were in bondage in Egypt. So this was once a great enemy of theirs. And a lot of times that's what kings would do. They would intermarry with the family of their enemies. So that would bring peace between the nations. But uh, that sounds all good until God said, uh, no, one man with one woman. Can I get an amen? And so he disobeyed God and did what the culture does. And we've all been guilty of that at times, where we allow the culture to speak louder than the word of God. And so, in the last few weeks, we've seen Solomon take over. He's a young man. Uh, We know that he was probably in his teens. As we come to tonight's text, he's been, we'll see in the very first verse, that he's been king now for four years. And we're going to see that he's going to follow up on what happened last week. If you were here last week, we saw that he interacted with a man by the name, the king, the king of Tyre, Hiram. And Hiram had good, been good friends with his father. And Hiram was the king of what is modern-day Lebanon. And that should have been an enemy, but uh, it was amazing how David was a man of war, but he was also a man who could be peaceful with those who he uh, uh, didn't agree with. And Hiram grew to love David. And he, he gave David all the supplies he needed to build his own palace. And it was in that palace where David was convicted by the Lord, convicted by the Holy Spirit. When he looked out and he said, how can I live in a palace and God lives in a tent? And we looked at the tabernacle a little bit last week and what all is there. And, and so now finally, uh, it took about three years for the, all the supplies that he got from Hiram. If you remember, he gave him, he said, I'll give you, give you food. And I'm going to basically feed your family for life. If you'll provide what I need. And they had to take these logs from Lebanon and put, build them into rafts and draft them, you know, have them go down the river. And then they then they would pull them out of the river, break them apart and haul them the rest of the way to Jerusalem. This is a deal. So now as we come to tonight's chapter, we're going to see him begin the building of the temple. And we'll talk about the significance of the temple. And so if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, longing to be in God's presence. There's nothing I long for more. I can't wait. Heaven's better. Can I get an amen? And we're going to see in tonight's text that the temple, in a lot of ways, is a picture of heaven. And we'll see that in tonight's text, that in several ways, we'll see verses that clearly point to the fact, because remember, we'll talk about this. David was given the plans for the temple, but he was told he couldn't build it because he had been a man of war. And now Solomon has gathered together all of the the supplies he needs, and now he's going to take the blueprints that were given by God to David to build the temple the way that God had commanded him to do so. So longing to be in God's presence first, a sense of urgency to do God's will, will and to do it well. I have a new sales team at work, and I was on the phone tonight with a guy that Joshua and uh, and Doug know, and I just met him because our team's combined and he's way out in Riverside. And we started talking and I found out he's a Calvary Chapel youth pastor. And, and they know him, and when I started talking to this guy and we got Jesus in common, And there's like 350 reps in his job title, and he's the number one rep in the whole Western United States. And we talked about the fact that guys, if we just do our job as unto the Lord and do it well, amen? And that should be our heart in everything we do not just in, in ministry, and certainly it should be that in ministry, but it should be that no matter what your job is. And if you're a student, do your job and you know, study as unto the Lord and do your schoolwork as unto the Lord. If you're full-time at home right now, you know, use that as an opportunity to do ministry and to minister to others. We want to do everything we do, do it well, and do it according to God's will. There should be a sense of urgency to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number two, being, uh, I misspelled something. There you go. Being sanctified here until we are glorified there. I was typing this up quickly. That's what happens. Being sanctified here, left the sea out. Uh, until we are glorified there so right now we know this as christians on the day you you give your life to the lord you're justified just as if you never sinned and now we're being sanctified till the day we're glorified and part and being sanctified is being molded more and more to the image of our savior and so that happens for a lifetime we never arrive until we get to heaven amen and we're going to see that at work in the life of god's people then we're going to see if we are faithful to the Lord; He will bless us. Now, this is not the name and claim it. If He is faithful, we will bless us. If a, if I give God what if I give a seed offering of thousand dollars, I'm going to win the lottery. That's not what it's talking about. But if we're obedient to the Lord, God wants to bless us. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. And it's not typically the blessing you're th- we may be thinking of. But we're going to see throughout the Bible, you see this: if then, if you do this then I will do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land. Heal their land. So it's an if then. You see that throughout scripture. You know? And so we're going to see that in tonight's text. That, yeah, God has, that God has some unconditional promises for us, but he also has some promises and some blessings for us that are conditioned upon us acting in obedience. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. Be sure you are being built on a firm foundation, godly character built on the Lord, and the focus on being faithful to God, not popular with men. You know, it's a, we're living in a time right now where our country's pretty divided. And we want to be kind and loving to everybody, even if they don't agree with us. Can I get an amen to that? And we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? And so, uh, no matter who wins the election, I'm going to pray for him. Amen. And I'm going to pray that he does well. Because we're not like some people who want our president to, to fall apart. Because that makes no sense. I'm going to poison myself to get even with uh, That doesn't make any sense. So we need to pray for those in authority over us. Amen? And we need to honor them. And we need to make sure that we're built on a firm foundation because our foundation is not the White House. It's the throne of grace. It's the throne of God. Number five, the veil is torn and we can enter into his presence. You know, as we, we talked about the tabernacle, we're going to talk about the temple. We're going to talk about uh, when they could enter into the Holy of Holies, how often that took place, who was allowed to go there. Uh, they didn't have any tours of the inside of the temple. Let me just give you a clue, okay? It was for the priests, not the people. And it was only a few of the priests. It wasn't like you could get in line and, you know, no flash photography, come on in the next five people. No, nobody ever got to go into the temple and nobody got to go into the, except the priests. And only the high priest on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, could go into the holy of holies. Isn't it good that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and we can go into the holy place anywhere and any time? Do you know wherever we go, it's the holy place because the Lord is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And then finally, heaven is better. Guys, we're going to see a a picture of heaven in the temple, but it's not the stuff that makes it amazing. It's not what's there, it's who's there. Amen? Amen. We're going to see in tonight's text that the entire inside of the temple is covered in gold, including the floor. When you walk in, you'd be walking on a golden floor. Where are we going to see golden streets? In heaven. But that's not what makes it amazing. What makes it amazing is... It's, I think when we get to heaven, we're not even going to notice the golden streets because we're going to be looking at the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? All right, let's begin there in verse 1, looking at longing to be in God's presence, a sense of urgency to do God's will and to do it well. And it came to pass in 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. Did you have any idea that it took that they have already been out of Egypt 480 years? Remember when they got when they left Egypt, uh, again to the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross at Passover? Amen. That final plague. And God delivered them through the Red Sea. They were given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he comes down and they're worshiping a golden calf. How quickly they forget. You can get some people out of Egypt, but you can't get the Egypt out of them. Can I get an amen? Because they brought Egypt with them. God opened up the earth and swallowed up some folks. There was some, some serious judgment taking place. Then they get to the land of promise and they send in 12 spies and 10 come out going, oh, there's giants in there, man. They'll smoke us. We can't do it. And there were two who said, they're, they're but grasshoppers to us. We'll wipe them out. Who were the two faithful spies? Who remembers? There you go. Caleb and Joshua. They were the only one of that entire generation that got to enter into the land of promise. So what happens is an 11, it's only an 11-day journey from Sinai to the promised land. And that 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march. And that entire generation dropped dead in the wilderness because they would not enter into the land of promise. And guys, it's tragic to me that, that's, that that defines a lot of Christians' lives because Egypt is a picture of the world and the land of promise is a picture of walking in the center of God's will and living a, a spirit life. And a lot of Christians are stuck in the desert, that they're just wandering and they're not growing spiritually and they're having their, their lives are not fruitful. They're not having an impact on the world. They're not getting any closer to the Lord than they were last year or five years ago. And you know what? We need to be people who our eyes are focused on doing God's will and knowing him better than anything else and seeking first his kingdom and his glory. And so 440, So they finally entered the land of promise. It's been 440 years. And what's amazing about that is that God's still in a tent in a sense, right? The tabernacle. 440 years have come and gone. That's a that's longer than they were in bondage. They were in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. They've now been in the land of promise 440 years. So it's been a long time. They're finally in that land of promise. Uh, they've, been finally, they've been there a long time, but now they're finally, the king is going to do what, he sh- what should have been done long before. Notice what it says there at the end of that verse. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel... In the month of Ziv, which is the second month, they began to build the house of the Lord. Now, the fourth year seems like he was was dawdling, but he wasn't because uh, most historians say it took about three years for the stuff from Hiram to arrive there so they could begin building. So he had, the first year he was king, he was already trying to figure out what he could do to build the temple. Now, one of the reasons it was so important to build the temple, while the tabernacle was still there, it had grown common and a lot of what was taking place is they were trying to worship the true and living God up in the high places with all the pagans. They were worshiping, they were going to the same place where they were worshiping Baal to worship God. And they were not going, they were not honoring what the word of God said. And they were not going to the tabernacle on the way that they were supposed to. And they were, so they were making sacrifices in the wrong place. And so they needed to get back again to a place where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be honored and glorified. And so Solomon now, in his wisdom, the supplies have shown up. It's been uh, about three years of gathering the supplies. How many guys, remember, if you guys remember, we had about 180,000 people working on this. And we're gonna see at the end of tonight's text, 180,000 people building this temple and it's gonna take seven years. That's quite a pad. Can I get an Amen. By the way, if you wonder what it looks like, turn, turn your uh, notes over, it's on the back side. That's one artist rendering of the, the temple. That's a little bigger than a tent. Can I get an amen? A little nicer than the tent. It's a permanent place. And more importantly to me, it shows there's a, a heart and a desire to have permanence when it came to worshiping the Lord. You know, what kind of, how are you in your relationship with the Lord? Does he get an hour a week? Is he a priority? Is he the passion of your life? Or is he just something that we do, uh, again, in a moment, uh, for a moment, or whenever it's convenient? You know, I think one of the, the biggest problems in the world today and one of the biggest problems with the children of Israel, the reason they didn't enter the land of promise, the reason that they struggle, the reason we struggle. We talked about this on Sunday in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And we talked about the fact in Greek that word for fear is cowardice. And you know what? We are not to be cowards for the Lord. Can I get an Amen. We should not be jerks. We should never be self-righteous. We should not treat people unkindly, but we need to be bold and unashamed of the gospel. And you know what? He hung on a cross for us. We should be able to speak up for him. Can I get an amen? And so it was fear that kept him out of the land of promise. It may be fear that keeps us from God's highest. Now, I just want to say this. So 480 years have gone by. You might wonder, now, where is this in time? Just a quick little theology lesson, a good way to keep... Uh, a general timeline of biblical history. From Adam to Abraham, roughly 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years. From Jesus to us, 2,000 years. And it's interesting in the Bible, it says a day is to a thousand years, as a thousand years is to, to a day. And uh, there's a millennial rain coming. Which, if you use the days to a thousand years, that's like the Sabbath when God enters into his rest. Can I get an amen? And so, it's been six days since creation, and we're looking forward to the seventh day. Amen? Now, David, just remember this, David is about halfway between Abraham and Jesus. So, the time of King David was about a thousand BC. And as we come to this portion right here... Um, you know, it's about 966 or 967 BC. So it's less than a thousand years before Jesus comes. And that's when he's going to begin to rebuild the temple. So they've been in bondage 430 years, 440 years, again, in the land of promise. And just remember, I love dates and genealogies in the Bible. When we planted this church, I started in in the New Testament. Guess what Matthew chapter one is? It's a genealogy. So here we were planting a brand new church and I taught a genealogy. But you know what? The reason genealogies are in the Bible, the reason we have dates in the Bible is it shows us literally how old the world is and people struggle with it. And while well, I'm a scientist and I believe in an old earth, well, okay, read your Bible and you won't. Can I get an amen? <laughs> thousand years. yom. The word yom there is 24 hour day. Every single time it's in the Bible. So here we are roughly, you know, 967 years before Christ comes in the fourth year, Solomon. Now the month of Ziv, okay, it's the second month on the Jewish calendar, but it's kind of April for us um, um, because our calendar is different than theirs. And again, if you were here last week, you know, from chapter five, that he had entered into that agreement. He had waited those three years to gather up all the, all. And it says there in verse one, at the end of it, he began to build the house. Of the Lord. So though Solomon would build the temple, he didn't have a hand in the design of the temple. The design of the temple was given to Solomon by his father David. If you read 1 Corinthians 28, it says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. God literally drew up the plans, gave them to David, and David gave them to his son. And that's an example for us to follow. God gave us his word. He wrote it down. He put it into our hands. And we need to give it to our children. Can I get an amen? We're, we're the ones that need to be delivering the word of God from our hands into theirs. I talked about it on Sunday. The most important thing in the world to me is to see my children walking with the Lord. Nothing else is more important. By the way, just if you want to, I'll, I'm gonna. If, if you come by my house on Thanksgiving, I'll just be a weeping mess because I'm gonna have all my kids and all my grandkids there for Thanksgiving for the first time in seven years. And I want to tell you something that to me is more priceless than anything you can do, because I love my family. You know what? I love the Lord, and I love when my my family loves the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And we want, I mean, we we you know, the family that goes to church together, the family that prays together, is the family that stays together. Amen. And so. He begins building it, and there is a purpose of the design of the temple. There's some uh, in that design. We're going to see that God had reasoning behind it. The Holy Spirit gave the directions. The entire design is similar to the tabernacle. We talked about the tabernacle last week. We talked about the furnishings. The furnishings don't change, and and it's it's built out pretty much the same way. It's just a lot more. It's a lot bigger, and it's a lot more permanent. It says in Hebrews. Uh, They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build a tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Because the pattern of what was in the tabernacle and the pattern of what's in the temple is what's in heaven. So this is a glimpse of heaven for us as we go through the temple tonight and take a look at it. So again, while David had the vision, Solomon gathered the supplies, Hiram was involved, 180,000 workers were used, and they were all a part of God's plan. That's how the body of Christ works. God will give us different gifts, and don't envy the gift that someone else has, just faithful to use the gift that God's given you. Amen? Don't try to be somebody else. We don't need two of them. We need one of you and one of them. Amen? And the same thing has happened. So this is what's happening here. God has put the plan in place. They all needed to be faithful. And God has a role for each of us in the body of Christ to be a part of His sovereign plan. If we're all eyes, where would be the hearing? Verse 2. Now the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, and its height 30. Now what's a cubit? Well, let me tell you, it's not an exact measurement because here's what what it is. It's the distance between the top of your middle finger and the bottom of your elbow. So that means everybody's got a little bit different measurement. Now, usually what they would use as the standard is the distance between the king's middle finger and the bottom of his elbow. But every time you get a new king, that thing might be changing. So it's an estimate, but I think it's a fairly decent estimate that it's basically uh, ninety feet by thirty feet by forty-five feet. That's actually not very big, is it? Ninety feet. How many? How many? How many yards is ninety feet? Thirty yards. It's not that far. It's not much bigger than this, right here. I bet I'm pretty close to. At least 25 yards away from that wall in the back, maybe 30. What we're going to see, though, is while that the the actual te- the actual temple in the middle itself is is going to be much higher, a little bit bigger than the tabernacle, but everything that surrounds it is what makes it grand. If you look on that, that picture in the back there, the actual temple itself is this part that's up real high right here, and so that's the portion that's only you know 90 feet by 30 feet. By 60 feet, right? It's 60 feet wide. And then notice how, ta- how high it is. We'll talk about that. But, and then the rest around it is described. Uh, God gave him direction on how to build all that as well. But the actual place where the sacrifices took place is in that spot that's sticking up there. And then it says there in verse 3, The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house. And the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. So again, as we're starting to venture out, talking about this space right in here, and it's going to be out to this place. And we're going to see that this keeps growing, and there's different people that can get in different places. We're going to see there was a place where the Gentiles could go. And then beyond that, there was a place where the Jewish women could be. And then beyond that, there was a place where the Jewish men could be. And then beyond that, there was a place where the priests could be. And so everybody had an ability to actually enter into a part of the temple, but only the priests could enter into the actual temple itself, not the courtyards or the outer courtyards. And we'll talk about that as we move through. Then it says there in verse four, and he made the house windows with beveled frames. Don't think of windows like we have windows. Um, These were, they didn't have glass. So what these were, they were put uh, up high, and what they did is they were like lattice work. And what it was, it allowed sun to come in and smoke to go out. Now, remember, they're making sacrifices. And they're burning incense and things like that. Now, we know inside the Holy of Holies, there's something else that lights the holy, the holy place. What is that? What is that? Well, the Lord, but there's a, there's, there's a piece of furniture in there. The golden lampstand. Remember that, amen? <laughs> now, but in some of the areas outside of that, there are windows that were placed there. Then it says in verse five, so point number one a sense of urgency. So he's been, he was only king less than a year and he started gathering the supplies. As soon as he has all the supplies, he's put 180,000 guys to work to get this thing done. Solomon is taking seriously what he knows God has called him to do. That's my question for all of us. If you don't know what God's called you to do, get on your face and ask him, he'll show you. Just remember this too, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. What does that mean? If God gives you a burden for something, if you see that there's a need, a lot of times God's moving on your heart to see that need because He wants you to do something about it. Can I get an amen? Too often, here's what I get Hey, Pastor Dave, we need this. I'm like, great, why don't you do that? Oh, no, no, you do that. (laughs) I'm already doing what I'm supposed to do. I teach twice a week, I counsel people almost daily. My phone is available. I pray for you guys. I love you guys. I minister to you guys. And I, and I disciple our leadership. That's what I'm called to do. And I want to do that well. But guess what? It doesn't leave a lot of time for me to do. I can't be in charge of the men's study and the and worship team and the you know setup team and the hospitality team. That's not, you know, people, hey, we need a married couples fellowship. Great. Why don't you do that? Hey, we need we need a single Great. Why don't you? We need a college group. Great. Why don't you do that? Just remember a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. When you see the need, often it's God moving on your heart. And uh, so, Solomon's being faithful to what God has called him to do. And he has a sense of urgency. Do you have a sense of urgency to be doing what God has called you to do? Number two, being sanctified here until we are glorified there. Look at verse five. Against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made the side chambers all around it. And the lowest chamber was five cubits. So five cubits, uh, again, that's basically five yards, so about 15 feet. Uh, It says, the middle was six cubits and the third was seven cubits wide. For he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so the support beams would not be fashioned into the walls of the temple. God gave him directions and he was pretty specific. Can I get an amen? And notice that he even told him how to attach it and where everything should go. Now these chambers were used for the priests. The priests, and we're going to see that the, they actually had inside stairs. We're going to see as we go on inside these chambers and they would move from chamber to chamber and up higher and higher. And we're going to see that it goes up pretty high and there, and there it was in there where the priests were able to do the work where the priests were, uh, were able to change their garments and do the things they needed to do to minister. So look, when God, when God gives you something to do, when God calls you to do something, he's going to provide so you can do it. Can I get an amen to that? Where God guides, God provides. And God cares about the details. And these side chambers, again, uh, I don't know exactly where, what, what they look like, I believe. Again, you see the wall around it, and, it's, and these chambers are right on the outside. I don't know exactly on that drawing, because again, that's just one guy's depiction. And then it says there, verse 7, And the temple, when it was being built was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple when it was being built. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. This is gnarly. So here's what they would do. They would make the stones and chisel them out and smooth them out. And these ton- some of these stones weighed a ton. I got no idea how they got them there. This is a long time ago. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Amen. So they would take the stones from a great distance and they would have to make them perfect according to the plan. So that when they brought them to where the temple was, they would drop in place perfectly and there were no hammers used, no chisels used. And I, and I love this. And to me, it's a clear, here's what it's a picture of for me. That God does the hard work in us when we're alone. And God gets the glory when the temple's being built. Can I get an amen? See, when the temple is being built, people are just like, there's no noise. Can you imagine? Every construction site I've been to is noisy. And they're building the temple. One of the greatest buildings on the planet at the time. And it was Quiet. And I love this picture that God's doing a great work and there's no noise, there's no sound. And I love it. Here's what happens. The temple is a picture of heaven and God's chiseling away on us now called being sanctified, amen? Until the day we get to heaven and we'll be done. Can I get an amen? There'll be no more chiseling in heaven. There'll be no more smoothing off of the rough edges. I've got some more rough edges that need to go. Anybody else besides me? And so God's doing that now. And again, we're not going to ever be perfect until we get to heaven. But when we get to heaven, do you know you will be perfect in heaven? Not because of anything you've done, but what he's done. And so I love this picture that down in the quarry, it's noisy. and They're chiseling the rough spots off and they're smoothing out the rocks. But when they bring them to the place, it's a picture of heaven. There's no more noise. There's no more chiseling. There's no more hammering. They just take each piece and put it in its perfect place. And when they're done, it's going to be a picture of heaven. Man, I love it. The Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's all in the Bible for a reason. Now we'll say this. The tabernacle itself, it's not that much bigger than the... I mean, the temple is not that much bigger than the tabernacle. And it's really... Not the size of it that's so amazing. What's amazing is the beauty of it. And uh, the amount of work that went into it. But more importantly, what makes it amazing is where God dwelt. Can I get an amen? See, the world looks to look at the outside and be impressed by the size of something or the grandeur of something. And we look at things from the outward appearance. And the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And see, what's really the most beautiful thing and the most amazing thing is that God takes wicked, vile sinners like us and he makes us beautiful from the inside out. Can I get an amen to that? And it's not because we're good looking on the outside, but who we've become on the inside. We're new creations in Christ. You know, by the way, you know where the temple is now? To us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord, Amen. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. What made that temple so amazing, it was, it was kind of awe-inspiring from the outside, even though it wasn't necessarily huge in size. It was the beauty and the way that it was created. But I want you to notice that the, rock, the, the stones that were brought, that were put down, the foundation that was created was seen by nobody. As we continue to go through this, you're going to see that all these stones that they chiseled away on and they took the rough spots off and they transported a great distance and they put them in the exact perfect spot and they laid them all down, they're going to cover them all up. And the foundation, you're not even going to see it. All that hard work, no one's going to see it. But I'll tell you what, without the foundation, that place crumbles, Amen. And it's the part that nobody sees in your life. When you get up early in the morning, you spend time on your knees in prayer. When you open up the word of God, you spend time in God's presence. You know why we can stand for the Lord and be unafraid and unashamed? Because we spend time in his presence. Can I get an amen? Yes. When you walk in intimacy with the Lord, when you spend time with the Lord every day, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the day. Because God is with us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And again, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen? And there's a piece that comes from that. And I just love these pictures. See, the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is it's all pointing to Jesus. Every chapter, every page, it's all about Jesus. And he's the one who's the ultimate fulfillment. So it's not the size of the temple, not much larger than the tabernacle that was impressive. Again, without the porches and the chambers and the courtyards surrounding it, it was roughly the same size as the tabernacle. But the glory of Solomon's temple is not in its size, but it's in its beauty and its construction. And above all, it's the place where God dwelt. So too within the church. The Bible says that many are called and few are chosen. And broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrows the way to salvation. It's not the size of the church. It's not the, it's not how grand the building that the church is in. And we're going to see the temptation later that happens with the temple. It's still happening today, but it's not the beauty or the quality of its construction. It's the fact that the Lord's here. Amen. You know, I kind of love that we're meeting outside for a while. Look, wherever we meet, it doesn't matter because wherever we go, that's where the Lord is. Amen. The church is not a building. It's the people. And wherever we are, God is in control. So too with each of us, not outward stature or beauty that makes us precious in his sight, but the love, grace, and mercy of God that he's poured out upon us, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Remember that the next time you're discouraged. So the temple's being built. The stones are being finished in the quarry. The stones are cut to size. And by the way, I believe... And I believe this so to be true, and I was convicted again by reading this text. I believe that in our quiet time, uh, in our time of preparation, prepares us for our time of ministry. Can I get an amen? I can promise you I will never get up behind this pulpit unprepared to teach a Bible study, and I never have. I I was estimating the other day, I probably taught about 4,000 Bible studies. So I've never taught one unprepared, unless my pastor called me with 30 seconds before church. And that's on him, not me. Can I get an amen to that? And God's gracious in those times. But you know, we should always be prepared to do what God's calling us to do. Can I get an amen to that? If you feel called to be someone to set up chairs, then be here on time to do that. If you're, if you're called to serve in the children's ministry, pray for the kids all week and don't just fumble around looking for the lesson once you get here. We should be, whatever we are called to do, let's do it well for the Lord, amen? And because we want to we be faithful When no one's watching, so God can use us when everyone's watching. See, David was faithful to fight off the wolves and lions when he was watching the sheep when nobody was watching. And that prepared him to destroy defeat Goliath when everyone was watching. Amen? Because he knew God was with him when he fought the lion and bear when no one was watching. So he had the faith to know that God would be with him when he fought the giants. And, and And I heard a man say this. I've shared this once before. He said, you know, I quit going to that church. And I said, why? He said, well, if he won't bother studying, I don't need to bother listening. I said, well, amen to that. Amen. Let's do everything well. And is unto the Lord. So the quiet in the temple was because of the noise in the quarry. If there was no noise in the quarry. It wouldn't have been quiet in the temple. If there's no time alone with the Lord, if we don't get our, our edges, you know, rubbed off over here, then again, we're not going to be able to be used. And like the temple, God's greatest work in people is often done quietly, being sanctified here until, t- until the day we're glorified there. Verse eight it says in verse eight, the doorway for the middle story was in the right side of the temple. And they went up by stairs to the middle story from the middle to the third. So there were three stories of these chambers and the stairs were on the inside. And, and I, we don't know exactly how it looks. We don't have we don't have David's plans, but Solomon did. And all these drawings that you see, they're estimate, you know, they're guesstimates, right? And this could be what it looked like, but I'm sure something close. But they have these chambers and they were, they were doing things that were revolutionary for their time. And they were doing it again to honor the Lord. And it was things that were done that would never even be seen. And I'm just thankful that we should be faithful knowing that whatever we do may not be seen by the world, but it's all seen by God. So he built the temple and finished it And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar... And he built side chambers against the entire uh, temple, each five cubits high, and they attached to the temple with cedar beams. So the temple itself, as I said, is just that really taller portion in the middle. Then outside of it, they got all these chambers where the the priests would dwell and the piece that that would be used by the priests themselves. And the side rooms on all floors were connected by internal staircases and passageways. And while the rocks of the foundation were perfectly fit together, polished and strong, they were unseen. See, if they continue to put up beams, they're putting up beams over the top of the rocks. We're going to see later, they're going to be pouring gold over the top of the rocks. So what's going to happen is, those rocks that are foundations, who's the chief cornerstone, by the way? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The word of God tells us that. The cornerstone is the stone that holds the whole thing together. You pull the chief cornerstone out, the whole thing falls apart. And praise God that he's the chief cornerstone. So point number two, being sanctified here until we're glorified there, The Lord's still working on us. We're still works in progress. We are being sanctified. We are being set apart. We're being conformed more into the image of our Savior. And that work will not finish until we get to heaven. Justified, being sanctified till the day we're glorified. Point number three. If we are faithful to the Lord, he will bless us. Look at verse 11 and 12. Then the word came to Solomon saying, concerning this temple which you are building... If you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. God had made a covenant with King David, and he told King David that he would bless him and bless his family as he obeyed the Lord. And now Solomon has come along, and God gives that same covenant to Solomon. Now it's an if. Then, let's read it one more time. He says there, if you walk in my statutes, if you obey my word, if you execute my judgments, again, Solomon is the king. When the people come before him, he's going to need to judge righteously. By the way, we're not doing anybody any favors to not bring righteous judgment when it should be brought. Can I get an amen to that? As parents, this is where we see it the most often. We are raising spoiled, rotten brats and a bunch of people who don't want to work and are lazy because we enable their ungodly behavior. And guess what? The Bible says a man who does not discipline his children hates them. Amen? Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's a biblical concept. God gives them a nice fatty area right back here, and nothing's going to break. Can I get an Amen. The board of education of my house, you can ask my son, David, the board of education brought to the rear end swiftly with some fortitude. will get their attention in Jesus name and nobody will die. Amen. <laughs> and the, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And we're living in a time right now where a lot of the counseling I'm doing and people I talk to, the hard part is you have parents who just refuse to discipline their kids. And then they want us to fix them. I, 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 hey, you can't do it. And I want to say this: disciplining is not easy, because we love our kids and we don't want to see them crying. But you know what? Uh, We all need to shed some tears when we when we've disobeyed the Lord. Amen. The Bible says to honor your mother and father, and so here we—he's telling them, "Look, you need to execute righteous judgment. You're the king, Solomon. They're going to bring stuff before you, and you're not to play favorites, and you're not to." Go easy on, you're to stand by the word of God. Be, be kind, be loving, be gracious, but discipline them, amen? And that's the exhortation. Then he also says, and my commandments. So not only walk in them, and he says, and keep all my commandments and walk in them. So don't just know about them, don't just read them, live it. Open it, read it, obey it, Amen? A lot of people like to leave the obey it part out. I know the word of God. Well, yeah, okay. But is it evident in your life, right? By your fruit, they shall know you. Is it changing the way you live? Knowing what the word of God says means nothing if we don't apply it to our lives. Amen. And he's exhorting him here. But notice he says, when you do that, I will perform my word with you. I will keep the promise I gave to you. If you will follow me and obey me, I will bless you. I will bless the kingdom. I will bless Israel. I will bless your family if you obey me. Now, we don't obey so he will love us. We obey because he loves us. Can I get amen to that? And the reason we obey is because we know that he's God and he knows what's best for us. He's not trying to keep us from fun. He wants to keep us from harm. Amen? You hear me say it often. The word of God, the laws of God are not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. They're a guardrail to keep it from driving off a cliff. Well, God's word, man, it's it's so bummer, man. I can't do anything. It's such a drag, man. I don't want to become a Christian. I can't party or anything. I had a coworker lady said, I'd give my life to Jesus, but I don't want to quit drinking. I go, how's that working out for you? (laughs) Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need spirits. I got the spirit. Can I get an amen to that? And and you know what? If you struggle with alcohol, I'm going to pray for you. But the reality is we don't need that. And the spirit doesn't wake, you don't wake up with a headache or drive your car into a tree or mistreat your family. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's the exhortation is, look, God knows what he's doing. So look, if you will obey me, it will be a blessing. I always told my kids growing up, you decide how responsible you want to be. And that's how many privileges you'll have. And some of my kids had more privileges than others. And they would complain. i say, well, that person's more responsible than you, so that's on you. Amen? And I believe God's the same way with us. Obeying God, it's, I love him, so I want to obey him. Amen? It, I get to obey him. He wrote it down. Aren't you glad? We get to obey God. And he says there, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. If you guys will obey me, I'll never forsake you. I will dwell among you. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All you need to do is acknowledge me and continue to worship me and continue to obey me. Now, we've all had times of rebellion in our life at some point, no doubt. And when you rebel against God, does that work out pretty well usually? You're pretty stoked you did it after a while? Hey, I'm really glad I did that. That was great. That was a great idea. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Hard. Amen? My sons have heard that verse so many times. They, yeah, they could probably do it on, you know, they probably tap it out. I mean, I, I use that a lot because it's true. And it's, but it's true for me. Amen? And when I disobey God, the consequences come in my life, and I deserve it. Amen? God knows what's best for us. And he's saying, look, obey me, I will be with you. Walk with me, I will be your God. I will not forsake Israel. God's not done faithful God. If then, there's more scriptures I've already quoted, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you seek God first, God will Take care of the rest. And again, it's not necessarily the you know the Cadillac in the driveway or the, the thing that you think that you want in the physical world. God's gonna bless you in a way that's that's eternal and far better. Amen? Yes. Then he says there in verse 14, that was verse point number three. If we're faithful to the Lord, he will bless us. If we are faithful to the Lord, he will bless us. Longing to be in God's presence, if we are faithful to the Lord, he will bless us. Number four, be sure you're being built on a firm foundation. Look what it says there in verse 14. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. And he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards from the floor of the temple to the ceiling and paneled the inside with wood. And he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built a 22 cubit room at the rear of the temple from floor to ceiling with cedar boards. He built it inside as an inner sanctuary as the most holy place. So inside like in the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle on the bar- in the out in the outer court, you had the bronze laver, you had the bronze altar the altar was a picture of the cross, the blood of the lamb. Four places the blood was placed. They would take the blood of the lamb. Then they would cleanse themselves in the laver, washing away of their sin. If you, a picture of that, right? Jesus cleanses. Then they would go into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, the holy place. It's the first portion. It's going to be the same in the temple as it was in the tabernacle. When they walked in, there were three pieces of furniture that were there. Golden lamp stand. Jesus is the light of the world. Table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread. Uh, again, he is the bread of life. And then in the very back, we're going to see in a moment, there was a curtain. And in a temple, there's a curtain and there's a golden chain that goes across it. So you were forbidden to go in. But on the outside was the altar of incense. And that incense was lit 24 hours a day. So the priests that were called, it was their their duty to go in. They were to keep the golden lampstand lit. They were to change out the bread on the table of showbread. And they would go in and make sure that incense was lit 24 hours a day. Now, they couldn't fully understand why, but we do. Because where is Jesus? Where is he right now? Where is he right now? You see at the right hand of the Father, what's he doing? He's praying. He's interceding on our behalf. Now see, the holy place is a picture of the throne of God, the Holy of Holies. And this incense was spilling over that curtain into the Holy of Holies 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a picture of what Jesus is doing for us right now. Now nobody else could go into that Holy of Holies except for the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And when he went in, he had to bring the blood of the lamb. We're going to see that there's some added things put into this holy of holies that is such a clear picture of heaven. And I love it. The Bible just rocks. So verse 14, be sure to be built on a firm foundation. He builds that 22 cubit room. This is the most holy place. It's in the back portion of the temple. Verse 17. And the front of the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. And inside the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. And all was cedar. And there was no stone to be seen. There you go. So all those stones that were the foundations, they're all covered up. Nobody, get, nobody sees them. You know, if you're a prayer warrior and you pray on your knees, no one else is ever going to see it, and that shouldn't matter to you because that's between you and the Lord, amen? You know, the the work that God does in smoothing off your rough areas, a lot of times that's between you and the Lord. Nobody else gets to see it. Praise God. And so now all that foundation that's so significant is the part that nobody else sees, nobody else even knows is there. It's all covered up. God's got us covered, amen? I love it. Verse 18. Verse nineteen, And they prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. So the inner sanctuary, again, the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. So as you walk through those, there's three people. And then at the back, there's this, you know, this drape, if you will. And then there's across the front of it is a golden chain. And no one's allowed to go in there except the high priest on the, on the Day of Atonement. I love, again, these stones so skillfully and precisely cut were not uh, visible. Spurgeon Spurgeon said this... He was the prince of preachers from 140 years ago or so. Even the foundation stones were not rugged and rough, but hewn and costly. And God would have everything which is done for him done well. He cares not so much for that which meets the eye of man. He delights himself with the beauty of those living stones of his spiritual temple, which are hidden away from observation. He said, God's not all that impressed by what people see. He's most blessed by what people don't see. By the way, You know who we really are? We are who we are when we're alone. Can I get an amen to that? We are who we are when no one else is watching. Reputation is who you are when everyone's watching. Character is who you are when no one's watching. We can all come to church and put on the Christian face. Amen. We can all look really good. Everybody here probably thinks the rest of us don't sin, but I know better about every one of you. Can I get an amen? Because I know me. Amen. But we look at everybody else. Oh, they're so amazing. I bet they'd never have had an argument in their 500 years of marriage. I bet they've never, you know. And we look at everyone else and we think they're perfect because we see that thing that we put up for everyone else. But the reality is we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen. We all are. It's so true. It's amazing when people find out I'm a pastor. And Bessie in sales, I go and make sales calls and I'll get a new account and the guy will be cussing up a storm and taking God's name in vain and filth and foul and foul and filth and filth and foul. And then, you know, and then I'll start, you know, I'll introduce myself. Well, i want to introduce myself. Hey, my name is Dave Johnson. i the company 32 years. I don't just represent the company to you. I represent you to the company. I'm entering into a partnership with you. I think it's important you know a little bit about me. First thing you need to know is I'm a born again Christian. I love Jesus more than anything. And my character and, my, and who I am in him is the most important thing. So I'm going to honor God and in honoring God, I'm going to honor you. By the way, if you wanted to know, I actually pastor a church. I'd love to invite you sometime. By the way, if you have any prayer requests, I'd love to pray for you. We can even pray right now if you'd like. And you know what? I have never had anybody complain. I have people say no, but the reality is once they find him a pastor, they've been, they, they flash back to the filth and foul and foul and filth and filth and, <laughs> filth and foul. Dude, I just like been swearing since he got here. And then all of a sudden, out comes the Christian face. You know, praise the Lord, brother. I'm a Christian too. Wow, okay. You know, the Christianese. Look, here's the reality God knows who we are when no one else is watching. Amen? And we need to be faithful when no one's watching. Amen? That's who God calls us to be. Verse 19. You prepared the inner sanctuary, and it says the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high. You overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. So when you got into, when, the, when that chain was taken down and they opened up the, the, the veil to go into the Holy of Holies, it wasn't true in the tabernacle, but in the temple, everything in there was covered in gold everything. There's a golden floor. The walls were gold. They're gonna, we're going to see they're going to put up wood and they're going to cover it in gold. And when you walked in there, what you would see is a picture of heaven. We've talked about this because there were angels with their hands on each side. We're going to see in the, tab- in the temple, along with the cherubim that are on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, there's also 15 foot tall angels that they hewn out of olive wood and covered in gold, And then we know that every piece of linen in the temple, as in the tabernacle, had sewn into it images of angels. Now, why would there be images of angels inside the Holy of Holies? And why would there be huge gold-covered angels inside the Holy of Holies? And why are there angels on top of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies? Why do you think? heaven because when we get to heaven who's around the throne singing holy 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 lord god almighty who was and is and is to come forever and ever and ever and is never going to stop who is it angels guys we we see a picture of what heaven's going to be like because the angelic host is there amen do you know it says in in, in heaven we're going to be greater than the angels i don't deserve it how about you The angels are created beings, but they never had, you know, they they didn't live on earth. And the Bible says that we're going to be greater than the angels in heaven. But there's the picture of heaven. Then it says there in verse 21. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched the chains across the front of the inner sanctuary. That's what I was talking about. There's a chain he put across, and he overlaid it with gold. And the whole temple was overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. So everything is overlaid in gold that's inside the Holy of Holies. Now, God's not impressed with gold. You know, he's not saying, look how expensive that is. And you might think it looks kind of gaudy when you think about it, right? Why all that gold about? But here's the reality. It's letting us know that it's a picture of heaven because in heaven, gold is asphalt. Amen? Because it's the streets of gold in heaven. It's a picture. See, I don't believe that when the, when the uh, high priest went on the day of atonement, I don't think he was blown away by the gold. He was blown away by the, by the Ark of the Covenant in the presence of Almighty God. Amen? When you're focused on the Lord, the gold means nothing. But it was still done in the way that was given to them by the Lord because it is a picture of heaven. So point number four there, be sure you are built on a firm foundation. Godly, godly character is built on the Lord. Focus on being faithful to God, not popular with men. Again, that foundation was covered. Nobody saw it. But it was, it was important because without that foundation, the whole place would crumble. Point number five. Look what it says there in verse 23. Inside the inner sanctuary, this is the Holy of Holies, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits. So 10 cubits, if this is about 18 inches, that's about 15 feet. So 15 feet tall angels inside the temple, next to the angels that are on the top of the mercy seat. So when you walk in, it's no doubt. And then again, all the linen that surrounds it all has angels sewn into it. It says one wing of the cherub was five cubits. So just the wing was five cubits, seven, seven and a half feet long. The other wing of the was five cubits. So it's 15 feet tall and it's got wings out like this. And when you walked in, there's no missing it. And there they are. There's the angels. And again, only seen by the high priest on the day of atonement. The other cherub was 10, uh, 10 cubits. Both cherub were of the same size and shape. The height of one cherub was 10 cubits, and so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherubim inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of one touched the wall, and the wing of the other uh, cherub touched the other wall, and there were wings touching each other in the middle of the room. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with gold. So 15 feet tall, their, their wings are touching they're spread across the entire back of it. Now remember again we talked about how the ark of the covenant is a picture of the resurrection because when Jesus rose from the dead, remember that he would come in on the holy the, the high priest would come on the holy of, holy uh, day of atonement and the holy priests he would sprinkle the blood and it would be right in the center of the mercy seat and there were angels on each end. And when they walked when they came into the tomb on resurrection Sunday, there were angels on each end and there were blood-stained clothes in the cloths in the again only God can do that. They've been doing this for years, every year on the Day of Atonement, and it was always pointing to Jesus. Amen? 700 years before the resurrection, even before crucifixion existed, it's spoken of in the Bible, because the Bible rocks. Amen? It's all true. God is in control, regardless of who wins, Georgia. Can I get an amen? God is in control, and he's a faithful God. So inside the Holy of Holies, he makes these two huge angelic beings. It says this in Revelation, just in case you. You know, donor says the first living creature was like a lion. The seven living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings were full of eyes all around them. And they do not rest night and day saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come the inner sanctuary or the holy of holies was meant to be a model of heaven itself. The very throne room of God. Is it any wonder that they're trying to, they, 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 were trying, they still try to find the ark. And I believe God got rid of it because I think they'd worship it. Can I get an amen to that? And that's going to happen even with the temple itself. So even in the, old, so in the Old Testament, only one person got to go in the Holy of Holies. And only on the Day of Atonement. And it was a great privilege for that person to be able to do it. And 99.9% of the people never went in. No, never had an idea of what was in there. Never got close to it. Only the priest got to go even into the holy place. So everyone else is on the outside looking in. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, and you and I can enter into the Holy of Holies every single day, every single minute, no matter where we are. What a great and awesome God we serve. Can I get an amen to that? We're not bringing any sacrifices anymore. The price has been paid in full, and we can enter into his presence. Last point, heaven is better. Amen? And notice what it says here in verse twenty nine. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries, with carved figures of cherubim—that's angels, palm trees, and open flowers. Now, Jack, if you're watching, brother, palm trees—I know you hate them. I love them. I'm on God's side on this one, bro. Hey, can I get an amen? Jack's ninety eight. If you don't know Jack, we love. Can I get? We also, hey, Jack. We love Jack. We love Jack. He watches every every service. But he talks about how he hates palm trees. I, I if, it's, if there's no palm trees, it's not a vacation. That's, yeah. how, that's how I feel about it. There's got to be palm trees. I love palm trees. Guess what? Palm trees in heaven. Amen? Does it not say it right here? It's a picture of heaven. By the way, when Jesus entered in to Jerusalem on Palm... On what Sunday? What kind of Sunday was it? On Palm Sunday. <laughs> what were they laying out in front of him? Palm leaves. Palm leaves. There you go. Word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, it's interesting, too, that it says there that the doors uh, were made of olive wood. Now, olive, when you, where Jesus uh, would go to pray, in Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem, and it's where the Garden of Gethsemane was. And you know that Gethsemane means olive press. It's where you would take uh, an olive and you would press it and break it and, cr- and crush it to make olive oil. But you know, it wasn't that the place where Jesus went and where he was crushed? Can I get an amen to that? Where he sweat great drops of blood and he said, you know, if, if, there, if there's another way, Father. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? And the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't think it's by chance we have olive wood and palm trees In the holy of holies. Because it all points to Jesus. Can I get an amen? And I love it. Bible's good stuff. Let's finish up. It says there in verse uh, 30. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary he made doors of olive wood, and lintel and posts were one-fifth of the wall, and the two doors were of olive wood, and he carved them on the figurines of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, and he overlaid them with gold, and he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorpaces of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall, and the two doors were of cypress wood. Two panels compromised one folding door and two panels compromised the other folding door. Then he carved the cherubim and the palm trees and the open flowers on them and overlaid them with gold and applied evenly on the carved work. Is he, are they doing this for the Lord or what? Are they doing this with excellence? What's the answer? They're not doing this halfway. And guys, when we serve God, we don't want to serve him halfway. We don't want to be kind of called. We want to be in with both feet. Amen. Let's do everything we do as unto the Lord, and let's give him the best, not the rest. Amen? Let's not give him the leftovers. Let's give him the best that we have. And as we finish up, it says, They built the inner court with three rows of hewn stone and a row of cedar beams. In the fourth year, of the, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the mount of Ziv. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished, in all its details, according to all its plans, so it was seven years in building it. Doing God's will, God's way, isn't always easy. Can I get an amen? Matter of fact, it rarely is. One of my favorite statements is, "Doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right." Amen. And when, so, when we say, "Well, I want to serve the Lord, but what's it going to cost me?" Well. We need to move that to what David said, that I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. So in serving the Lord, it should cost us something. Can I get an amen? Amen. It might cost you sleep because you need to study. It may cost you uh, your resources so that you can uh, minister to somebody else. It may take away from time of doing a hobby that you enjoy so that you can minister to somebody. and look guys, it's going to cost us something. And if you're not willing to give up something for the Lord, just remember how much He gave so you could go to heaven. He, he suffered and died on a cross, and we might have eternal life. Amen. And, and if, boy, we can't outgive God. And the exhortation there, is they did everything with excellence. It took 180. Thousand guys, seven years to build the temple. That's doing things well. Amen. And that should be our heart when it comes to the Lord. Let's do all things to honor our Savior. So it is a picture of heaven, gold streets, angels, palm trees, flowers. And what makes it heaven though, and what makes it glorious is not the palm trees you know, I love them. It's not the gold. It's not the flowers, it's God's presence, amen? Let me finish with this. Five years after Solomon dies, the temple gets plundered. It doesn't get destroyed, but it gets plundered. Just five years. They've spent seven years building it. It gets plundered. Now it survives for several hundred more years. It gets destroyed by Babylon. And then it's going to be rebuilt later by Ezra, who's going to come back after it's been destroyed and help rebuild the temple. But it's not going to be rebuilt the way that it was. It says that the young men will be joyful, that were joyful, and the old men grieve because it wasn't the temple that they had before. And they rebuilt a mere shell of itself. And Herod built the temple that existed in the days of Jesus. It was built much later. Now, here's the important point. The temple, for some, had become a place, had become an idol where they were so focused on the temple of God that they lost sight of the God of the temple. And we see religions doing that today, don't we? Can I get an amen? Where people worship idols, but they don't call it idolatry. They pray to dead saints instead of praying to the true and living God. Amen? They, they keep rules and rituals to somehow, and, and they focus more on the church and a religion than they do on the savior. Get, let me tell you right now, no church saves you because we are the church once we're saved. Can I get an amen? And no religion will save you. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ and Buddha didn't die on the cross for you and neither did the Pope. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we don't worship men. We worship the Lord. And anybody who teaches anything contrary to the word of God, it is a false religion. And we need to love people enough to reach out to them and invite them to know the true and living God. Can I get an amen? And we must never make any man or any, we don't worship Calvary Chapel. We worship Jesus Christ. I'm a Calvary guy to the core. I really am. I've been a Calvary pastor for 30 something years, and I love my church family. I love the other pastors. I love verse by verse teaching, kind of things we stand for. But when we get to heaven, we're just Christians. Can I get an amen? And I love all of God's people. And let's not miss out on God's highest. And let's not allow anything else to take the place of the Lord. Amen? So, lodging, longing to be in God's presence. A sense of urgency to do God's will and do it well. Being sanctified here until we're glorified there. If we're faithful in the Lord, he will bless us. Be sure you're being built on a firm foundation. The veil is torn. We can enter into his presence and heaven is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We thank you, Lord, that the word, this word written 3,000 years ago still applies to our lives today. And Lord, I pray that we would leave here more in love with you. I pray that you would stir us up. Show us the gifts you've given us. And Lord, I pray whatever we do for you, we would do with excellence. So we can't do it in our own strength. So fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said.